Would you pray with me? God, we love the words to that song. We sing them with all our heart. And we want that to be the way that we live our lives as well. That you would be our everything. That we could joyfully run to you. So God, break our hearts if you need to. Reshape us. Remold us. Reorder our lives. So that we can, with integrity, sing and say that you are our everything. It's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks. You can have a seat. We are in the second week of this series where we are uh, talking about how we are designed for more. If you weren't here last week, I'll just refresh your memory that we talked about how each one of us is this unique creation of God. And we're not like a painting or a sculpture that's set up and we are to be looked at and admired. We're more of a functional work of art. We are created with a purpose in mind. And when God created us, I think one of the most important and least understood aspects of how we're created, how we're wired, has to do with our spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. So I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. And to another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Paul wants you and me to understand that every one of us is good at something. In fact, we're really good at something. We are exceptionally good at something. And when we know at the core, who we are. We can begin to discern discern the right times and the right ways to step up, whether that's in our work or when we volunteer, if that's in the community or even in the church. And when we do that, we not only benefit personally by having a life that's richer, fuller, deeper, But the church also benefits because it becomes this magnetic place that simply cannot be ignored. So when Paul starts off this teaching in 1 Corinthians 12, he's pretty clear about us needing to understand this whole idea of spiritual gifts. And he says, now about spiritual gifts... 
I don't want you to be uninformed. And I think that's really ironic because Paul makes that statement and then this has proceeded to be a problematic area for churches almost since the day he penned those words. For me personally, I grew up in the church and I have spent most of my life in the church and I didn't hear anything about spiritual gifts until I was in my 30s. I don't understand it. It was just flat out ignored in the churches I grew up in. They didn't teach on it, they didn't talk about it, and I don't know why. And really, it's sad because multiple times in the New Testament, the Bible teaches us that when we become a Christ follower, God gives us at least one, and generally two or three, spiritual gifts. Now, the simplest way I know to define what a spiritual gift is, is this. A spiritual gift is a special God-given ability that he's chosen especially for you in order to help you advance God's purposes here on earth. Now, when we see a gift lived out in someone's life, sometimes it seems like God's unleashed something supernatural in that person's life. At other times, it seems like God has simply taken something that's already present in the person and increases their natural talents and abilities. But either way, it becomes really obvious that God's at work in them. He's given them a gift and he's using them. Now, let me just stop and do a disclaimer. Can I do that? Because we're like in week two of three. And if any of you are just even the least bit skeptical like I am. I'm just a little. I'm not like Darren who's really skeptical. I'd be jumping ahead to the conclusion of this message and this series and going, I know where this is going, right? Somewhere along the line, they're going to hand out a slip of paper. They're going to ask me to sign up, volunteer for something. You know, that's coming, right? It's not. That's not what this series is about. This isn't a series to get you to recruited, to sign up and volunteer for anything. But if you do, well, I mean, if you want to volunteer, we'll take it, okay? That's not what this series is about. This series is about changing your experience that you have when you serve. Whether you serve in the church, whether you volunteer in some organization, in the community, the principles that we're talking about have even impacted my work and the kind of work that I do. They can impact all of your life. But when it comes specifically to the idea of serving in church, typically, when you look at churches, statistically, there are about 20% of the people who do 100% of the work in the church. They do it all. That's normal. They run the kids' ministry, the student ministry, they do the lights, the sound, they do all the instruments and the vocal in the church. They get out in the serving roles, they take care of all of those things like ushering, greeting, parking cars. They do all the the behind-the-scenes stuff. They serve communion. In a church like ours, that involves hundreds of roles of serving in the church, and it would mean that there's about 100 people at Westridge that do that if we were normal. But I've said over and over again, we're not normal. That's kind of the unifying principle at Westridge, you know? We gather people who just aren't normal. It's how I knew I fit in here when I first came, you know? Um, So I took a look at the numbers this week, and we have 330 adults who serve on a regular basis. Not just like one-time things. 
on a regular, consistent basis. And that means that we're approaching about half the adults who call Westridge home who serve. That's not normal. That's exceptional. That's wonderful. And I love you guys for that. But I want to ask a question to those of you who are serving on a regular basis, and it's this. It's a little deeper question. How's that going for you? And when I ask that question, every ministry leader in the church kind of goes, he didn't just say that, did he? And they get a little nervous. So I want to just ask, because for a lot of you, it's going great. I mean, you love where you serve. You love the team you're serving with. You have fun when you serve. It's really fulfilling for you to do that. But my guess is there are some of you who are serving, and it's just not that way. It just doesn't seem to fit you. It's, it's just not a pleasant experience. You know, it's not that it's awful or painful, at least not most of the time. It's just not you. I mean, you show up, you serve, but it's not what you're expecting. It just feels weird or odd. I mean, everybody around you seems to be enjoying what they're doing. They're finding fulfillment in it, but you're not. I mean, serving there for you is like trying to put a square peg in a round hole. Does that describe any of you? You know, the experience that you've had in the past. Does it describe the experience you're currently having now? If it does, then what it might mean is that your serving area doesn't match how God has uniquely gifted you. Because if you know your gift, then where you serve is going to be more satisfying, less frustrating. You're going to serve with greater freedom. You're going to serve more enthusiastically. I believe with every fiber of my being that God doesn't want us to just to do what we're able to do. God wants us to figure out what we were made to do. So Paul starts this passage with this grand statement. I don't want you to be uninformed. And then what follows are three chapters where he talks about spiritual gifts, gifts in depth. It's the largest single teaching that we have in the entire Bible on spiritual gifts. And he starts off by giving us three very basic truths about spiritual gifts that we need to hang on to. The first is that every single one of us has a gift. He says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us, and then he gives us the reason why, so that we can serve each other. In this passage, Paul lists out what some of the gifts are. And if you take what he lists here and you combine it with the other passages in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts, you end up with a representative list of about 30 or so spiritual gifts. It's quite a mix. Some of them are more blue-collar. Some are more white-collar. Some are more um, people-oriented. Some are more task-oriented. Some are wired more for extroverts. Some for introverts. And rather than me like walking you through all of those gifts this morning and explaining what each one is, because you'd get really bored and check out after about two, some of you'd start like texting a friend and saying, Can you call me so that like my phone would ring and I'd have to leave? Instead of doing that, let me just tell you a story that kind of explains how they work. I want you to imagine a scene where some friends are gathered around a table and they've just finished dinner. And they're now at the kitchen table. They're about to eat this wonderful cherry pie. Hot out of the oven. 
big scoops of ice cream going to go on that cherry pie. Can you picture it? Can you smell it? You know? We're going to have the ushers come in and, and serve you all a piece of cherry pie to help with... No, we're not. Um, be nice, wouldn't it? Um, so what happens then is they've gathered around and Kira, the best dressed and apparently the hungriest person present, takes that last piece of cherry pie, puts it on her plate, and somehow in that interchange what happens is that piece of pie and the plate falls to the floor and creates a mess. How her seven friends around the table respond to that mess gives you an indication of some of their spiritual gifting. Friend one takes charge immediately of the situation and reels off orders and starts organizing a cleanup crew. Hey, we're going to need some wet towels because, you know, cherry pie and ice cream, it's really full of sugar. And if we let that dry on the floor, it's going to create this sticky mess that will be there for days. So we're going to need some wet towels. We're also going to need a broom because when the plate broke, I saw shards of glass just slide all over the hardwood floor. So we're going to need a broom. Where would we find the broom? (laughs) This friend... She obviously has the gift of administration, not only because she organized the cleanup crew, but because when it was all said and done, she didn't end up with a single job about cleanup. (laughs) Friend two immediately makes an offer. Kira, honey, let me get you another piece of pie. There was a little delayed reaction back there. Uh, Let me get you another piece of pie. And when she goes to the tray and finds out that all the pie is gone... She goes, oh my gosh, the pie is gone. I'm going to run to the market and get us another cherry pie. Seconds for everybody. That friend has the gift of giving. Friend three leans on the kitchen counter and says calmly, you know, I could have told you that was going to happen. He might have the gift of prophecy. He definitely doesn't have the gift of mercy. And most likely, later on, will have the gift of loneliness. Friend four has already burst into tears, not because Kira's pie is ruined or the plate is broken, but because she feels Kira's embarrassment. She definitely has the gift of mercy. Friend five, on the other hand, shocks everybody when she laughs at what's happened and almost immediately takes her plate, turns it upside down, and drops her pie on the floor, too. (laughs) Soon everybody's laughing at what she's done, and the focus is definitely off of Kira. Friend five was highly motivated to help her embarrassed friend feel better. Friend five has the gift of encouragement. After a minute, friend six greets, gets everybody in the room's attention and says, hey, 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 you know, really, seriously, this could have all been avoided because there is a better way to eat cherry pie. I've researched it. And the first of nine things that you need to know is this. <laughs> I think friend six has the gift of teaching. And the group interrupts his teaching with laughter because nobody really wants to hear the first thing, let alone sit through the list of nine points on eating pie. And finally, friend seven. Friend seven has already completed the task of cleaning up all of the mess without even being asked. 
or without anybody even noticing. He's cleaned everything up. There's no trace of cherry pie from either piece or the ice cream or the broken pie plate to be found. Friend seven has the gift of serving, is a natural born servant. Now think about it for a second. There was only one event that happened, but there were seven very different reactions to that event in the room. Which friend would you be in the story if you had a reaction at all? Whatever response felt natural to you, if you felt close to one of the friends, it could be an inkling about what your spiritual gift might be. You see, figuring out our gifts doesn't have to be a lengthy, complicated process. I've been around churches that have made it that, where they'll hand you two or three books and have you read them before you attend a seminar that lasts for six or eight weeks. And in the course of the seminar, you'll take assessments that are quite lengthy and take multiple hours. And in the end, what you end up feeling like is finding your gift is like an Easter egg hunt where the eggs are impossible to find or a game of hide-and-seek that nobody wins. Books and assessments are helpful. And in fact, we offer a workshop here that helps you discover your spiritual gifts. We're calling it after this series, Design for More. We're going to offer it again on April 25th and 26th. It's a Friday night, Saturday morning, very quick, very simple. There are some assessments. They're not lengthy, but they're helpful in helping you figure out who God's wired you to be. And you can sign up for the workshop on the web or at guest services this morning. But here's the deal. You can go through the assessments and attend the workshop, but when it's over, we tell people, you've been armed with some information. But you still have to get in the game. You have to plug in and figure out what you're good at doing. If you do that over time you'll figure out your gifts. The information is really, really helpful. But I've plugged in, after doing the information, I've plugged in over time and I've figured out I'm not good at working with kids. I'm good at getting them wound up. (laughs) But after about 10 minutes, they ask me to leave. It's like, this isn't really helpful. I'm not good musically. I'm not gifted at leading worship. And I did that for a while in one church I served in. I'm not good at counseling. I'm good at teaching and leading. I'm really good at starting new things. And going through that process involves a lot of trial and error. And it's good for us to do that. Because it helps us figure out in the end what our gifts are and what they're not. The second common thread that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, the common thread there is serving with all of the gifts. Now, it's not the spiritual gift of being a servant, but serving is a common thread that runs through all of the gifts. And that's really critical to remember, especially if you end up with a gift that has you up in front a lot. Whatever gifts God has given to us, they're not about making us feel good, even though when you use your gifts, sometimes you do feel good. Our gifts aren't about making us popular. They're not about making us more widely known in the church. God gives us gifts so that we can serve each other with those gifts. 
Let me ask you a question. It's the middle of March. In spite of what your senses told you when you stepped outside your house this morning, it is, empirically we know, it is the middle of March, right? Middle of March. How many of you still have Christmas presents laying around the house unopened that you were given at Christmas? Anybody? No. Why? Because when someone gives you a gift, the expectation is you're going to open it, right? When God gives us a spiritual gift, his desire is that we'll open it, we'll unwrap it, we'll figure out what it is, and we'll start to use it. Maybe that's why Paul got on his protege, Timothy, a little bit when he wrote to him and said, don't neglect the spiritual gift that's within you. Figure it out. Start to use it. I can't imagine what this church would be like if the people who are using their gifts hadn't figured that out. I mean, I think about the people who were up here using their gifts this morning. What would the church be like without that? What would the church be like if the people who are behind the scenes serving hadn't figured out their gifts? People like Suzanne Johnson, who every single week uses her gifts to lead a team of people who use their gift of intercessory prayer They spend hours every week praying over every single request by name that's turned in on those cards. The upfront gifts, the the behind-the-scene gifts that are used every single week in this church make this church what it is. And I look over a group like this and I think, what if every single one of us unwrapped and used our gifts? What would the church be like? How would we change? How would we grow? in our outreach, in our ministry. The third thing that Paul teaches is kind of interesting because he says, basically, I don't get to choose my gifts. Verse 11, he writes, it's the one and only Spirit who distributes all of these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Bummer, right? I mean, seriously, let's just be honest. If I could lay out all the spiritual gifts and kind of walk through and shop for the gifts that I want, I know which ones I'd choose. Do you? (laughs) I mean, let's just be real. I would walk through and I would choose the ones that would enable me to be very gifted and talented musically. Part of that's because I married a woman who has a beautiful voice. And from day one, I've always wished that I could play the guitar or sing along with her in harmony. I just can't. That's just God's honest truth. It's, we have empirical data that proves it. Okay? <laughs> We've been told, don't ever do that again. You know? We can, we can sing together, but it's in the car with the radio turned up so loudly that no one can actually verify that I'm singing with her. You know? I just can't. And then I, I see people up here doing this stuff on Sunday morning, and I go, I'd give anything to be able to do that. I mean, I can't even do the tiny little red piano that Michael trots out every once in a while. I mean, the damage I could do is so limited and yet so traumatic. I just couldn't even do that. I'm not gifted that way. But what's really good about the fact that we can't shop through and figure out our gifts and choose them is that God's in charge. I know myself well enough to know 
that it's a good thing I don't have Michael's musical gifts. Because I doubt, seriously, that I would be a humble, a humble musician. I just wouldn't. I know enough of my weaknesses. I don't know that if I had really good musical gifts, that I'd be a Christian today. So God knew what he was doing when he wired me up the way that he did. What's also cool about God choosing the gifts is that he balances the gifts out in a local church. Here's how it works. The Bible teaches that every one of us has at least one gift. You're gifted. It also teaches that no one has all the gifts. There's no prima donnas among us. The church is designed to be a community. We need each other to do this together. Third, there isn't a universal gift that's present in everyone. So we need each other again to have all the gifts. And fourth, together we have all the gifts that we need to do all the work that God is asking us to do. It's like together we have all the pieces of the puzzle. God spreads the gifts out so that Westridge has all its needs met. So when our church doesn't have enough volunteers, we don't have enough people to fill all the roles in a ministry, then only one of two things can be true. Either the church is trying to do something that God isn't asking us to do, or we're just not helping people discover their gifts so that the roles can be filled. Either way, it's time for us to step back and go, what's going on here? And make sure that we're in sync with what God's asking us to do. You know, I think back to, when I talk about this, I think back to when I was growing up. And my mom used to tell me repeatedly, that I could be anything that I wanted to be. Did your mom do that with you? And I just am not so sure anymore that that's actually true. That we can be anything that we want to be. Think about it. I mean, if we are all uniquely created by God, can we really be anything that we want to be? Let's just... Talk about it at the level of the church. If God has wired you in a way that you're not good with numbers, can you serve on the church finance team? If God's wired you in a way that you're an introvert and noisy environments drive you crazy, can you serve in Westridge Kids? If God has put you together in a way that you really don't have a sense of rhythm and timing, can you serve on the worship team? You can do those things. But reality is, if you choose to do those things, you're most likely going to be unhappy, unfulfilled, and unsatisfied. And worst of all, 
You're going to ignore and waste a spiritual gift that God has picked out especially for you. Can you be anything you want to be? Probably not. Can you be everything that God designed you to be? Absolutely. You can begin to unwrap the gifts that God has given to you. You can unwrap the gifts that he chose just for you and begin to serve others and find incredible joy in being who you are, who God sees that you are, who he made you to be. And in the end, all God ever really wants from you is for you to do what you do best. Thousands of kids all over the U.S. are singing the song Let It Go from the Disney movie Frozen. And just in case you are one of the five people who haven't seen the movie and don't have any idea what it's about, let me fill you in. The song is a manifesto of sorts sung by one of the lead characters. And it calls for people to cast off restraint, to be true to whatever it is that you feel most deeply in your heart. And what's ironic about the song is that the theme of the song actually contradicts the greater plot line of the entire movie. When Queen Elsa, who's singing the song, actually decides to let it go, she brings terrible evil into the world. She sings, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. She lets it go. And her actions isolate her. They freeze the entire world around her and damage the people she loves most. I love the morals, the values that the movie teaches overall. And they're portrayed very clearly in the broader scope of the plot line of the movie. Letting go is ultimately self-centered. It's damaging. What's really needed is for our distinctive gifts to be used and shaped by redemptive love. That's ultimately what Paul was teaching in those three chapters in 1 Corinthians. And one of the pivotal verses, he says, if I don't have love, then I'm nothing. No matter what I do, no matter what I say, no matter how I use my gifts, if I don't do it in love, then none of it really matters. Our communion time each and every week is a reminder of the greatest act of love that our world will ever know. And each and every week, when we take the bread and the juice, we eat it and we drink it, we remember Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we remember that His redemptive love not only wipes away our sin, but it guides and shapes how we are to live each and every day of our lives. Let's pray. 
God, we are so grateful for your love in our lives. For your redemptive love. And we pray that it would shape us in how we use our gifts, in the words that we say, in the actions of our lives. We are grateful as well because we are not perfect in how we do that. We are grateful for your grace that covers our sin and forgives us each and every day. God, meet us now in this time of communion and remind us of your redemptive love and your grace, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.